Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Well, we're continuing with our series, The Traits of Highly Miserable People. Don't nudge or look at anyone near you. Don't bump anyone at home. But how many of you know there are miserable people around us? Sometimes we're miserable, and God's plan is not for us to be miserable. He wants us to be filled with joy. And often we don't know while we are miserable. And when you're miserable, you infect other people. I was reading a book by Travis Bradbury. He wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. Some of you may have read it. And he says this. He says, unhappiness is lethal to everyone around you. He says, just like secondhand smoke, the famous Tiemann study from Stanford, which is about IQ, followed subjects for eight decades, 80 years, and found that being around unhappy people is linked to poorer health and a shorter lifespan. How many of you want to live long? You want to live long? Well, you need to get away from miserable people, And you need to stop being miserable yourself because when you're happy and you're filled with joy, the Lord's presence and strength floods your life. But many of us don't know why we're miserable. And I looked over the last two weeks at the fact that we worry constantly and it can make you miserable because you're living with fear. And then you complain constantly. We all complain, but if you complain constantly, that's when you can become miserable. Now, as I kick off today, uh, many of you would remember Claudius Ptolemy the great astrologer believed that the earth was the center of the universe and uh, that all the planets and the sun revolved around the earth. And for about 1,400 years, people believed that to be true. And uh, it wasn't until Copernicus and Galileo and Newton came along that that theory was changed. And they say it was easy for humans to believe that the earth was the center of the universe because naturally speaking, most of us believe that we are the center of the universe. And in fact, a guy who tried to contradict that, uh, a man called Claudio, uh, sorry, Giordano Bruno, the Italian philosopher, he contradicted that and uh, he was a brilliant scientist and mathematician, but they burnt him at the stake. And you know what I've noticed today is if you don't teach or believe that you are the center of your little universe, people will actually burn you at the stake on social media. They will cancel you because life, you're told to go with your heart. Be yourself. And that's exactly opposite to what the Bible teaches. And that's why there's so many irritable and miserable and aggressive people in our world because people haven't realized the challenge that when you put yourself at the center of the universe, you become miserable. And I want to speak to you today about the third trait that people have who are miserable. They make themselves the center of the universe. They make themselves the center of the universe and of their universe. And selfishness is something that permeates our world. People think that you must look after yourself. Mobile uh, Oil had, a, had an ad at one time called, uh, uh, and, and, and this is what they'd say on the ad, you are number one. And at the petrol stations, the petrol attendants used to say, come in number one. And it caters to that something in us, that self-centeredness that uh, is sometimes never satisfied. In fact, most of the time is never satisfied. John Owen was a British pastor, and he said selfishness is the, is the making a man's self, his own center, 
the beginning and end of all he doeth. These great sages from the past speak about how selfishness is putting yourself in the middle and making yourself the be-all and end-all, and you think it'll make you great, but it'll make you unhappy. Social media is about that, getting yourself out there. And uh, while we understand that one has to market oneself and make money, it is a dangerous thing. William Gladstone was a British uh, statesman, and he said, selfishness is the greatest curse of the human race. Charles Kingsley, a British pastor and a professor and author, he discusses the difference between happy people and miserable people, and he says this. He says, the men I have seen succeed have always been cheerful and hopeful, who went about their business with a smile on their faces and took the changes and chance of this mortal life like men. If you wish to be miserable, you must think about yourself, about what you want, about what you like, what respect people ought to pay you, what people ought to think of you and, then you, and then to you, nothing will be pure. You will spoil everything you touch. You will make sin and misery out of everything God sends you. You can be as wretched as you choose. Selfishness is not the key to happiness, it's the key to being miserable. I don't know if you realize that. And sometimes we, there's a natural reaction. I've got to look after me, you know, it's, it's, and I've got to be good to me. Now, we, we need to have a good self-esteem in Christ, and we'll talk about that in some weeks ahead. But I do think that it's important for us to realize that we've got to keep Jesus at the center because the world doesn't revolve around the earth. The, the universe doesn't revolve around the earth. It revolves around the sun, the S-U-N and the S-O-N. Let me remind you, before we get into some practical ways here, in Revelation 5 and verse 6, it says, Then I saw a lamb standing in the center of the throne. Isn't that significant? Surrounded by four living creatures and the elders, and the lamb appeared to have been killed. That's the divine order of this universe. Jesus at the center of it all. Remember we sang that this morning? We sang that for a reason, because he needs to be the center. And when we are in our rightful orbit, there's harmony, and everything works well, and there's a joy. But when we try and be in the center, then problems arise. Don't forget, Satan put himself in the center. That's what it was about. He knew God. He didn't attack God's throne. He just put himself in the center, and he still attempts to do that with us. He did it with Eve, and he attempts to do it with us. And it's a selfish thing. Isaiah 14, speaking here of Satan, it says, For you said to yourself, I will ascend to the heaven and rule the angels. I will take the highest throne. I will preside on the mount of assembly far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. But watch this. But instead, you will be brought down to the pit of hell, down to its lowest depths. There's always a risk, I don't know if you've noticed, that that satanic influence can come into our lives. It happens in business. People become selfish and start stealing and breaking the rules. It happens in politics. We see it all over the world, not just South Africa. And then it even happens in churches where selfishness creeps in and it becomes about the leaders and not about the people. And we've constantly got to guard ourselves. Jesus needs to be in the center of our lives. Stephen Charnock was a British pastor, and he said this. He said, when we believe that we ought to be satisfied, 
rather than God glorified, we set God below ourselves. Imagine that he should submit his own honor to our advantage. We make ourselves more glorious than God as though we were not made for him, but he made for us. This is to have very low esteem of the majesty of God. We were made for him, and he needs to be in the center. And listen today, you want to be happy? Put Jesus in the center of your life. The world will tell you the exact opposite, but that is the truth. So let's look at some ways that we can overcome it this morning or today. And number one, are you all with me? In the room? Are you enjoying being here live? Isn't it different? And online and in Kailami, number one. We have to undo what starts in our childhood. Selfishness often is precipitated in our childhood. Our parents allow us to do things and they don't correct us. They never tell us no. We only get told yes. And in today's world, children are being allowed to express themselves. Be yourself, my darling. Tell us what gender you want to be from the time you are three. We are living in a world of insanity because we want to go against God's word. And guess what? People are more unhappy than they've ever been, more mixed up, more suicidal than ever before. Let me remind you, Proverbs 29 verse 15, correction and discipline are good for children. If they have their own way, they will make their mothers ashamed of them. You know, when you make your child the center of the universe and you never tell them no, don't be surprised if they grow up to be demanding monsters. I, I, I watch the news all the time like you do, and they talk about gender-based violence, and they want to have campaigns to solve it. And I get very irritated because it's not solved through campaigns. It's solved in the home. You tell your children from the time they're young, it's not about you. Don't be so selfish. Then when they grow up in marriage and they're insulted or there's conflict with their girlfriend or their wife, they don't take it out on them. They, they, they deny themselves. They hold on to, there is self-control. Starts down here in your childhood. And I want to say if you're a very selfish person and you've been told you're selfish and you're miserable, it could be that you can trace it back. Say, Lord, free me from my first birth. Let me be born again so that I can be a different person. There was a student at the North Illinois University who was interviewed after a whole group of people there were shot. Six people were killed. You know, there was a university shooting yet again, and this is way back in 2008. And they asked him his opinion. Why do you think this happened? And I'm not talking about 2021. I'm talking about 2008. How many of you know in the room and online and in Kalami that these shootings are happening almost every single week in America? This is what he said. He said, kids in the USA grew up being important and never being denied any luxury or being disciplined. In our schools during games, they are not allowed to prevent a kid playing even if they are disruptive. Then they go to college, that's university, and it's different and they can't cope. They become miserable and start to take it out on others, first with attitude, then with words, then with violence and force, Hence the shootings. You know, some of the things that are happening in our world are not difficult to solve. Just go back to the Bible and see what God says, and he explains it. I love what Edward, Edward VII said when, uh, sorry, Edward VIII. Remember he married Wallace Simpson? 
when he visited America, he said, the thing that impresses me the most about America is the way parents obey their children. <laughs> he said that years ago. Today, it's even worse. Don't allow your kids to become self-centered. And maybe your self-centeredness, if you, or you know someone who is miserable and self-centered, it's probably because of the way they grew up. They weren't looked after and guided. Many of you would have heard the story or the joke of the woman who had two children, Ryan and David, five and three, and she was making pancakes for them. And they were sitting at the table and they were waiting for the pancake and they were wondering and they started to argue, who's gonna get the first pancake? So mom tried to use it as an illustration for spiritual reasons. She said, you know, if Jesus were here, he'd say, let my brother have the first pancake. So the one boy looked at the other one and he said, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that how we are? We are so self-centered, we hate to admit it, but it is the key to making yourself miserable. So we have to undo what starts in childhood. Number two, we need to mature spiritually. A sign of spiritual immaturity is self-centeredness. The more Jesus is Lord, the more spiritually mature we are. Catherine Pay uh, Patterson, the prolific American author, said, I guess real maturity, which most of us never achieve, is when you realize that you're not the center of the universe. You can always tell when people are immature, they uh, are selfish, they hold grudges, they are easily offended, and they never apologize. Mature people are always humble, always ready to forgive, always ready to apologize, and, and, uh, and that's, a, that's a maturity. Rick Warren says, the pastor from the States, many of you would have read his books, babies by nature are completely selfish. They think only of themselves and their own needs. They are incapable of giving. They can only receive. That is immature thinking. Unfortunately, many people never grow beyond that kind of thinking. Isn't that true? You just have to look on social media. It's about me, me, me but that is immaturity. In a book by Arthur Brooks called Gross National Happiness, the subtitle of the book is Why Happiness Matters for America and How We Can Get More of It. He says the founding fathers listed the pursuit of happiness as one of the key founding principles uh, in the Declaration of Independence. And uh, he says, despite that being a pursuit, people are more miserable than ever in America despite prosperity and a very high standard of living. So America just gets better and better. There's more and more money, there's more and more opportunity, yet people are more and more miserable. Have you noticed that? More and more are complaining. And he goes on in the book to talk about the fact that happiness is not something that comes from outside you, it comes from something inside you. And then to quote some of the people who have said things about the book, they say this, the key thing is to have two, there's a list of values, but two key values you need to have if you want to be happy, and that is faith and charity. Isn't that interesting? Believe God and know God, because then it's not about you, you've got, you're, you're other-centered, and then when you make it about people and charity, that's when real happiness floods your life. And while people are pursuing this, thinking it's material, actually no, it's an immaturity. They need to mature and realize, I need God, and I need to be others focused. Number three, here's the third thing. And is this helping you today? Is it good to be in the house? Is it good to be in Kailami? 
So good, we've got two campuses running simultaneously. Number three, the self must be ruled or it will rule. You let yourself rule, it will rule. And the self must be ruled. Watchman Nee, the great uh, Chinese uh, pastor, I read all these books when I first became a Christian. He says the flesh makes self the center and elevates self-will above God's will. It may serve God, but according, always according to its idea. Notice that. Not according to God's. It will do what is good in its own eyes. Self is the principle behind every action. Listen to me, Christian, today, across our campuses and online. You need to know that if you, if you let it, yourself will deceive you, even as a Christian. L let me say this. If you don't believe all of the Bible, but only in certain parts... You don't believe in God, you believe in yourself. Think about that. If you believe certain parts of the Bible and certain parts you don't believe, you don't believe in the God of the Bible, you believe in yourself. That's how quickly self can rise up and you can think you're right. And I listen to Christians arguing all the time about all sorts of serious issues. Why? Because they believe in themselves, not in the God of the Bible. And if you're not careful, self will rule and will become the center of the universe and misery will follow. Thomas Brooks, the great pastor from way back, he said, deliver me, O Lord, from that evil man myself. Isn't that the truth? Come and be honest today. Every one of us, including me in this room, if we allow self to rule, it's capable of dastardly things. And you know, there's an Argentinian saying that they use, and we should use it in South Africa. The Argentinians in a certain church there, when they baptize people, you know what they say? We kill you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because actually when you get baptized, that's what you're killing self. You're killing self, don't forget it. But the world keeps wanting self to be resurrected. An Argentinian pastor by the name of Juan Carlos Ortiz, in his book Disciple, says this, he says in baptism, it is more than the tobacco, the drinking and the gambling that stay under the water. It is self. People must understand that. When they come up out of the water, they leave themselves behind. It is a totally new self which now begins to live a life of obedience. Self must not be yielded to. It must be ruled over or self will make you miserable. Number four, are you with me today? Number four, the fourth thing is, and this is important because this is where the devil deceives us. Selfish accumulation always produces unhappiness. Selfish accumulation, not accumulation, selfish accumulation always produces unhappiness. How many of you know God wants you to prosper? There are many teachings, if you watch online, you'll see people attacking churches like ours, attacking any verses in the Bible that speak about prosperity. Now, the Bible teaches prosperity, but not selfishness. Prosperity with selfishness is where unhappiness comes from. No, we need to aspire, we need to work, we need to accumulate, we need to grow, we need to, we need to have seed to sow and bread to eat. If you don't have bread to eat, you've got no seed to sow, as you heard in the offering. So today, we need to understand that selfish accumulation is the problem. And one of the greatest lies of the devil is he tells us that the path to a fulfilling life is by selfishly accumulating things, but it's actually not. And uh, the world tells you to accumulate as much as you can. He who dies with the most toys will be the happiest, and that's not the truth. An estate lawyer 
in Aachen in Germany, you know, deals with the deceased estates, a man had died. He was asked to go to the man's house and count his possessions and look through the house. And he, he went in and they found 71 rifles. I mean, one man owned 71 rifles, revolvers, pistols, other weapons that he had built himself. And this is what the lawyer said. He says there were 71 guns, one for each year of his life. He had 41 cases of ammunition and five walking sticks fitted with retractable blades. I wonder what he was going to do with all five. I mean, you can only hold two, but he's got five of them. Now, this is, according to the neighbors, they said the man lived alone. That's it and collected everything from garden tools to watches, and the house was stuffed to the rafters. But this is what I found significant. By the end, the neighbor said he had to sleep in a hotel sometimes because there was no room in his own house. Do you know that some people in the attempt to fill their lives with stuff crowd out their own joy? You crowd out your own joy. And listen, we're not anti-achievement and moving forward and improving your life. Poverty is a curse, it's not a blessing. But if you think accumulation, selfish accumulation is the answer to your happiness, ask people who've got a lot. Ask people who've had many cars and many houses. Everything wears off. But when you have faith and you have charity, it's more blessed to give than to receive. If you don't believe me, they did a survey and the Department of Psychology in Illinois, they went into the Calcutta slums, and if you've ever been there or seen it, they are dreadful. And they interviewed three groups of people in the slums about happiness, and they, they interviewed the sex workers, the homeless, and then the people who, who lived there, the slum dwellers, they actually had made a home for themselves. And they asked them how satisfied and happy they were. And they said, look, we're not happy, we're not satisfied, but this is what they found. Amongst those who had good relationships with others and were sharing their little with others, there was a much higher level of happiness than those that had no friends or no family and weren't sharing but were only looking to get and stay alive. Isn't that interesting? You see, the answer is not accumulation. It is sharing and giving. A British study showed that money fails to buy happiness even though incomes in Britain since 1950 have increased three, threefold yet people are less happy than they were in 1950. They say in a study that was done in Europe that lottery winners revert to their previous levels of happiness within a year of winning the money. Don't know if there's any in the room or online or at Carl Army, you, you, you scratch, and, scratch and win. Within a year, your same level of happiness, you're down here because it's about inside, not outside. And accumulation doesn't make you happy. Jesus said it in Acts 20, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Satan makes us think that. Listen, this, this, interesting, this European survey, they said this, one look at the permanently sullen face of the multimillionaires, multimillionaires Victoria Beckham appears to prove the point. Do, do me a favor, go online and look at pictures of Victoria Beckham. There's only one or two where she smiles. You see him. Bex's at you know, these award ceremonies, and she's, and these are stone rich people, famous, because it's not about you. And when it becomes about you, it's never enough, because there can never be enough worship for a human being, because we weren't designed for worship. Isn't that true? 
You know, and, and, and joy comes when you're not self-centered. You'll remember the story of Zacchaeus in, in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and you know the tax collectors used to collect more than enough because it was about them. And then he meets Jesus, and he discovers, and he makes Jesus the Lord of his life. What's his first response after getting saved? Self gets put aside, and he starts to think about others. If I've robbed anyone... I'll pay them back twice. And half my goods, I give to the poor. That's what happens when you become Christ-centered. Other people become important, and accumulation is not that important. Are you with me today? And so making yourself happy is not the result of having more stuff. Number five, it is the result of not having a right relationship with God. When you put yourself in the center of the universe, you don't have a right relationship with God. Let me, let me explain it to you like this. If you look at the, the sun, the sun is the center of the universe, isn't it? And all the planets revolve around it. But it's quite hard to think in terms of that. Let me explain it to you by thinking of a, a wheel. You all know a wheel, and I've got a bicycle wheel here today. Um, and you can stay with me here for a moment. Um, come to the middle so that people online can see. Can you see I've got a bicycle wheel? Can you see in the middle of this wheel there's something, the gears, but there's something called a hub. Can everyone see that? And all the spokes are attached to the hub. That's why the wheel rolls smoothly. But can you imagine if we decided that one of these spokes was going to be the hub? And we'd transfer the hub to being a spoke. This thing would do this. And eventually it would collapse because it's not designed to be in the center. It's designed to be on the peripheral and when we all revolve, in the, imagine the whole world revolved around God as the center. We would move forward with joy instead of unhappiness. But we keep trying to make ourselves the spoke, the hub. And that's not the way we're rightly related. He needs to be in the middle. So quickly as we look at this point here, how can we solve this? And can I say this? Whenever you put the wrong thing in the center of your life, put your children in the center of your life, trouble cometh exceedingly quicketh. Because they're not meant to be in the center. And when anything happens to them, your whole life goes out of kilter. The only person that's meant to be in the center, not even your wife or your husband, Jesus. Because then when things go wrong, you still manage to get through. Even with a loss of a partner, the death of a spouse, the death of a child. So two ways here, a two-fold solution in the little bit of time I've got left. Have you been helped today? Number one, we need to keep Jesus as the Lord of our lives. Notice, keep Jesus as the Lord of our lives because there's a possibility that on a daily basis he can slip from the center to the outskirts. And we can start putting ourselves in the middle. Not, not your will, Lord, but mine be done, we pray. Or we think. And selfishness is actually an act of rebellion against God. When Satan put himself in the center, he was rebelling against God. And we must not do that. We must make sure that we keep him in the center. And remember, Matthew, Matthew chapter 10 here says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up, you will save it. So when, when, you, have, when you keep Jesus in the center, then your life flows, everything moves nicely, there's harmony and there's happiness and we need to understand that Jesus needs to be kept in the center. Selfishness is a challenge. I like what Joyce Meyer said, and, uh, and uh, I do enjoy her ministry from time to time. She said, if selfishness is the key to being miserable, 
then selflessness must be the key to being happy. Isn't that true? Selfishness makes you miserable. Selflessness makes you happy. And the way to start is to put Jesus or to keep Jesus as the Lord in the center of our lives. Max Lucado wrote a well-known book, and I quoted from it many years ago. It's not about me. And he says this, God does not exist to make a big deal out of us. We exist to make a big deal out of him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. And we sang that today, Jesus in the center of it all. It's not about me. It's all about you. That's what we sang today. And so make Jesus the Lord of your life. And then secondly, here's the simple cure, and we're nearly done today. Become others-centered, not self-centered. Become others-centered, not self-centered. They say the best way to cheer yourself up is to cheer someone else up. You want to be happy? Cheer someone else up. You can't help by cheering, by cheering yourself up, by cheering someone else up. But it's always me and, you know, people always ignore me and people don't love me and people hurt me. And No, no, go around being others-centered. You'll be amazed how happy you will become. And when Zacchaeus gave his life to Jesus, he then gave himself to others and his life changed. Here Paul encourages us, as I begin to move to a close, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. We skip over to verse 20 for the sake of time. I have no one else like Timothy who truly cares for you. Notice what he says. Other people are interested only in their own lives, not in the work of Jesus Christ. Let's be careful that as Christians, we don't push the Lord out. We become self-centered. We become full of fear. We worry about ourselves. Let's make Jesus Lord on a daily basis and let's be others-centered. And you find that joy floods into your life. Selfishness is an epidemic at the moment. And it's really harming our world. And um, you know, when we become others-centered, something wonderful happens. Other people become inspired by you when you're others-centered. Think of people in our world that stand out. Mother Teresa, whether you agree with her theology or her way of life, why is she remembered? Because she was others-centered. I want to tell you a quick story and then we're going to pray. There's a book called Through the Valley of the Kwai by Ernest Gordon. And in the book, he tells the story of the Japanese prisoner of war camp during World War II. They were hellholes. And uh, the Japanese abused the prisoners. There were Americans, there were Australians, there were British, there were Scottish, and uh, they were all mixed in, and life was torturous. And uh, they say because it was such a hellhole, every man for himself was the motto. And there was a massive Scotsman by the name of Angus McGilvery, and he was a strong, tall man, and uh, everyone in the camp knew him. And uh, yet, Angus McGivory died. He collapsed and died, and everyone in the camp was shocked. What's happened? How can this tall, strong man die? And when they tell you the story in the book, they say this. Angus McGivory uh, was an Argyle. They were called Argyles, and Argyles were soldiers who always had someone with them. You always had a partner, you know, like, like the police have a partner in the, in the squad car. They had a man with them or someone with them, and they were called their mucker. That was the term. And your mucker and you hung out together, and your mucker looked after you, and you looked after your mucker. 
Well, Angus McGivory's mucker was a much smaller and thinner man, and he got sick in this camp. And because of the conditions there, he got weaker and weaker. And Angus McGivory gave him his blanket. And when his mucker said, no, Angus, he said, I found an extra one. And so he used his blanket to keep warm on the chilly nights in those terrible conditions. And then when, when he saw that the man was weak, he gave him his own rations and his own supplies. And the man said, no, you can't give me your food. Look how big you are, you need it. And he said, no, I got some extra. Well, anyway, Angus McGivory's mucker survived and Angus McGivory died. And when they did an autopsy of his body, guess what they found? They found that he had died from weakness and malnutrition. Well, the camp was shocked. And they say as a result of this selflessness, every man in the camp began to look after someone else. And everything changed. And I'm going to read to you what it says here. It says that they became less self-centered and more caring and sharing. And they decided to pool their resources and their talents to look after one another. This is what the book says. One was a violin maker, another an orchestra leader, another a cabinet maker, another a professor. Soon the camp had an orchestra full of homemade instruments and a church called a church without walls that was so powerful, so compelling that even the Japanese guards attended. The men began a university, a hospital, and a library system. And the power of one man's selflessness changed a hellhole into a haven. You know, selfishness is not good. It'll make you miserable and it won't change your world. And today, we need to make Jesus Lord and become other-centered, and we'll find the joy of the Lord flowing into our lives. I'm gonna hand over to Pastor Chris in Kailami, but I'm gonna close in just a moment here online with you and in the building in Santon. And uh, you know, you might be here today and your life is incomplete and it's miserable. You can solve it right now by making a decision. I put Jesus back as the hub, in the center. And you know what? The joy of the Lord will begin to flow. Maybe if you're watching online today, you don't know Jesus. Uh, he's not been the center of your life. And Fulton Sheen, the great uh, uh, bishop from way back, written some wonderful books. He says, if you do not worship God, you worship something. Nine times out of 10, it will be yourself. Isn't that interesting? You have a duty to worship God, not because he will be imperfect and unhappy if you do not, but because you will be imperfect and unhappy. And you know, I want to say to you today, if you don't worship God, you'll be unhappy. Christ entered our world so that we could enter his world and we could enjoy eternity. So if you don't know the Lord today, you want to invite him into life. You say, I want to make him the center of my life. Well, you make Jesus Lord and you die to self, and you say, Lord, come into my life. And the Bible says in John chapter five, that if you hear the word and you believe in Jesus, then you have eternal life. And it says, judgment has passed from you and you've passed from death to life. Isn't that a great promise? So in the building this morning, won't you join me as we pray with people online today who are receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? We're gonna pray right now, and you can pray this prayer with me. Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus and I make Jesus the Lord of my life. Lord Jesus, be the center. It's not about me, it's about you. I give you my heart, I give you my life. I pray now that my life would come into order, into divine balance, and that the joy of the Lord would be my strength.
come into my life. I thank you for the sacrifice of Christ for my sins. And I receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 